Welcome back to episode two of Stepping Over the Chalk Baseball Podcast uh, with Sam Ojeda. I am your host, Sam Ojeda. And yes, after episode one, we got a name. Uh, I came up with this one because, you know, this is primarily a baseball podcast. It's probably going to remain a baseball podcast. Um, so I thought Stepping Over the Chalk was fitting since, you know, it has to do with leaping over the baseline because one of the superstitions in baseball is to not step on the chalk or you're apparently cursed for the game. So hopping over the chalk, um, baseball reference, that's going to be the new name for the podcast. We got a pretty cool lineup today. Um, I think you guys will enjoy the first segment. We're going to talk about um, two great first basemen. So I think you'll really enjoy that. And uh, let's go ahead and get right into it. All right. So topic one for today is something that I came up with just the other day, and it's something that I don't think is looked at close enough. Um, two great baseball players, most likely two Hall of Famers, two winners, two great teammates, and two players whose teams are at the top of their respective divisions. This first segment today is going to be a comparison between Freddie Freeman and Paul Goldschmidt. Freddie Freeman, obviously, with the Dodgers. Paul Goldschmidt, obviously, with the Cardinals. Freddie Freeman started his career and built a legacy in Atlanta with the Braves. Paul Goldschmidt started his career and built a legacy in Arizona with the Diamondbacks. But I really want to break it down and come to with a true decision on who the better player is. They both had very similar careers. You know, if you start with Freddie Freeman, he has been a career 297 hitter. Paul Goldschmidt, 296 hitter in just few more at-bats. Um, 150 less at-bats for Paul Goldschmidt than Freddie Freeman. However, Paul Goldschmidt has 306 long balls. Uh, that's something Freddie Freeman's only done 286 times. Goldschmidt then also has a higher OPS at 918. Freddie Freeman right behind him at 895. Freddie Freeman, one more RBI at 1,012. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt at 1,011. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt gets on base a little bit more. Uh, 391 clip. And Freddie Freeman just right below that at a 386 clip. And so statistically... They're very, very similar. You know, Paul Goldschmidt, great first baseman. Freddie Freeman, great first baseman. But hitting-wise, they're very, very similar. Freddie Freeman has 62 more doubles than Paul Goldschmidt does. Uh, does that balance out the home runs? Who knows? Um, but again, the OPS is still lower on Freddie Freeman than it is on Paul Goldschmidt. Now, if you break into the awards, Freddie Freeman has made six All-Star games. Paul Goldschmidt has made seven All-Star games. They both made it this year um, to the All-Star game in L.A. However, Freddie Freeman has done something that Paul Goldschmidt has never done, and that is win an MVP. Freddie Freeman won the MVP I believe in 2018, let me look that up real quick. Freddie Freeman won the MVP in 2020 in the COVID-shortened season. 
you know, some people think that maybe that season shouldn't count, but, I mean, it was still a, a Major League Baseball season. Yes, it was shortened, but I still think the MVP counts. So Freddie Freeman has the MVP. However, Paul Goldschmidt does not. But Paul Goldschmidt has finished top five in the MVP five times. So that means there have been five MVP level seasons that Paul Goldschmidt has played in. And so that's something that I think is really worth looking at. Uh, Freddie Freeman only has one gold glove, even though he is remarked as a very good defensive first baseman. Paul Goldschmidt has four. You know, they both play in the NL, so they're both vying for the same gold glove. When Paul Goldschmidt's finishing first, Freddie Freeman's finishing second. When Freddie Freeman's finishing first, uh, Paul Goldschmidt's finishing second. So defensively, they're very similar. I mean, if you look at career fielding percentage for the two... Uh, Freddie Freeman has a little bit better of a fielding percentage. But then why, you know, is Paul Goldschmidt winning all these gold gloves? And, you know, that is stuff that you have to look at. But honestly, I'm leaning on the side that Freddie Freeman's probably a better defensive player than Paul Goldschmidt. Paul Goldschmidt, they uh, Freddie Freeman has 35 less total chances than Paul Goldschmidt, uh, but has less errors. Paul Goldschmidt has more errors, you know, 35 chances you know, give or take, but, uh, defensively, we're going to go ahead and give it to Freddie Freeman. Silver Slugger, Paul Goldschmidt's got four, Freddie Freeman's got three. When Freddie Freeman's finishing first, Paul Goldschmidt's finishing second. When Paul Goldschmidt's fin finishing first, Freddie Freeman is finishing second. You've got to get the defensive side to Freddie Freeman. Offensively, it's going to go to Paul Goldschmidt, and then you got to look at the career war. Career war of 56.4 for Freddie uh, for Paul Goldschmidt. Career war of 47.6 for Freddie Freeman. And you would make it think that the debate belongs to Paul Goldschmidt. But Freddie Freeman has won a ring. And Freddie Freeman has won more. He's been on more winning teams. You know, I know Paul Goldschmidt played in Arizona, but Arizona had some pretty decent teams. You know... You can go on with the debate about who's better, Freddie Freeman or Paul Goldschmidt. And the stats say Paul Goldschmidt's better, but the ring and the MVP say that Freddie Freeman's better. In my opinion, they're both Hall of Fame caliber players. Um, but I'm pretty sure that we could probably give this one to... You know, I'm, I'm going to go with Paul Goldschmidt. Paul Goldschmidt... I mean, if you're even looking at this season, he's having a 333 batting average. But I think he's got about 18 home runs. You know, Freddie Freeman, 319, just a couple more home runs than that. Um, and obviously, I know that Paul Goldschmidt doesn't have the MVP, and you can't overlook that, but he's finished top five so many times. Um, you know, four gold gloves, four, four silver sluggers, higher career war, more all-stars, better on base percentage, less RBIs, less home runs. Worse of a batting average by one point, but a better OPS. I think this debate is going to lean in the direction of Paul Goldschmidt. Um, you guys obviously have to let me know what you think. I'm a big Freddie Freeman fan, big Paul Goldschmidt fan, um, but this one is going to go to Paul Goldschmidt. Uh, let's go on to our next segment. Alrighty, alrighty, alrighty. In between our big segments, I'm going to have a little small segment here. 
uh, last episode I talked about Steve Bartman versus Robert Norwood, and a lot of people asked me, well, what is Steve Bartman doing these days? This is what I could find. Uh, in 2016, uh, this is the last thing I could find. Uh, 2016, he got a World Series ring from the Cubs, um, but he denied it, said he didn't deserve it. So he didn't actually take the ring. Uh, I don't really know what he's doing now. I mean, obviously that they won the World Series. There's probably a little pressure off his back. Um, yeah, that's all I know, and that's what Steve Barton's doing now. All right, continuing episode two of the Stepping Over the Chalk Baseball Talk podcast. Uh, we're going to talk about one of the teams that I think um, has the best potential to be a great MLB team and have a chance to make a World Series run, but they currently suck. And let me tell you who that is. Today we're going to be talking about the Mike Matheny-managed Kansas City Royals. And I hope this makes the local people listening happy because they're probably mostly all Royals fans, seeing as how I'm from Nebraska. And let's hop right into it. Again, like I said, Mike Matheny's the manager. He's experienced. He's won in the past. He was a good ball player. I like him as a manager. He just doesn't really have the team this year. They've been really injured. Salvador Perez hurt. Edward Olivares hurt. Albert, Adalberto Mondesi has been hurt. Amir Garrett in and out has been hurt. Um, I'm a big fan of the pitching coach, Cal Eldritt. He had Juco uh, routes, is obviously where I'm headed. He coached at the collegiate level for a while. He was a major league coach, and I really like him as a pitching coach. But you have to take a look at this roster. And I am going to tell you right now, youth, youth, youth has been the Royals thing for years and years and years. They won through the youth movement when they won their World Series a couple of years back. And they are still young. And I think they have a lot of potential to still be really, really, really good. Let's start with the pitching staff. Zach Grinke, old, washed. He'll be gone. I don't think he stays for another year. He's probably going to retire. Brad Keller, Daniel Lynch, Chris Bubik have all really, really, really struggled this year, but they are young. Again, I like Cal Eldred, the pitching coach. I think they have a lot of potential. Um, but the guy I'm really here to talk about is Brady Singer. Brady Singer, I went to a Royals game um, about a month ago, and I watched him pitch in person. The man is very good. He works quick. He's got a nice fastball. His slider breaks an insane amount, and it's like at 87 miles an hour, which is, again, very fast for a slider. Uh, this year, he's got a 3.5 ERA, 1.15 whip, but don't let that deceive you. In his last seven games, he is 2-1 with a 2.45 ERA, 44 innings pitched, uh, only 8 walks, 51 strikeouts, and a 1-1 whip. One of those games includes him blanking the best offense in the league and at the time healthy New York Yankees. He went seven innings, one hit, one walk, and ten strikeouts. And I watched that game from start to finish, and I'm telling you, I have never seen the Yankees more fooled by a pitcher than they were by Brady Singer. Big fan of Brady Singer. He's still young, 26 years old. You could probably hold on to him for about six more years. 
and he could be a potential, I'm not saying he will, but he has the potential to be a Cy Young level pitcher for the Royals. And, you know, you go into the bullpen, you got Scott Barlow. He's been really good for them this year, really consistent. You know, I watched him lock it down when they played the Guardians in town, one on a walk-off. You know, 17 saves, 2-1-9 ERA, 1.07 whip. I think he's got a lot of potential to be really good for them. Big fan of Amir Garrett. No matter what you think of Amir Garrett with his off-the-field issues, or I guess on-the-field issues too, um, you know, he's been good. You look at guys like Dylan Coleman's been okay for them this year. He's still young, uh, only 25 years old. Uh, He's pitched... 46 innings, 1.3 whip, which is a little high, but only a 2-2 ERA. So don't let that whip fool you too much. Luke Weaver has been a pretty much failure when they got him from the Cardinals. But, you know, he's still young. Everybody hits another shot. Uh, Joel Pampas is 28 years old. He's th- He only has a 3-2-6 ERA, 1-2 whip, 38 innings. He's 28. This bullpen, I'd say if you bring in one more piece, uh, Scott Barlow and, you know, one more really good bullpen arm have the potential to be the Greg Holland, Wade Davis bullpen of old. You look at catcher, Salvador Perez has been really hurt. He's old. I want to say he's 33. No, he's 32 years old, still old, running on the end of his contract. I think the Royals, as much as this pains me and probably pains the Royals fans, they just need to let him go because they need to pave the way for the new guy coming in. MJ Melendez is very, 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 very good. And I think the kind of guy that you're getting with MJ Melendez is a guy that's going to be very comparable to Salvador Perez. You know, MJ Melendez is only 23 years old. This year, he's hitting 240 with 14 home runs. You know, he's been pretty decent defensively. I wouldn't say he's been great, but he's been pretty good. In his last week of baseball, he's hit 318, three home runs, 773 slugging, you know, over a thousand OPS. He's really trying to figure it out. Big fan of MJ Melendez being the future at catcher for them, much like Salvador Perez was when they won their World Series. You go over to first base, you got Nick Prado, young, good. Vinny Pasquintino, young, average, but has the potential to be good. You got Hunter Dozier, longtime Royal, I'm sure a lot of Royals fans are fans of him. He's 30 years old. You know, they could either move on from him, try to get a little bit of maybe a reliever and a package for Hunter Dozier this offseason. Um, he's hitting 247, 10 home runs this year. That is okay. He's really there for his defense. Uh, and, you know, he could be a veteran presence for them. Obviously not to the level that Alex Gordon was, but it kind of reminds me of that. Um, but, you know, Nick Prado has been really good as of the last week or two. Vinny Pasquantino has been up longer than Nick Prado has. He's hitting 248 with six home runs. Um, pretty solid, smooth lefty swing. But I think you got to go with Nick Prado here. He's got a better future. He's younger. You know, the defense is better. Um, but obviously we'll see. But, a bit, uh, you know, bright future at shortstop or at first base. Uh, the middle infield has a lot of potential, you know. You got Adalberto Mondesi, who's hurt and as, will be hurt the whole year, but has the potential to be a really good second baseman for them. You know, whether you want to put him at second base or third base, obviously, Bobby Witt Jr., who we'll talk about in a second, has shortstop on lock. Um, <clears throat> but you could put Adalberto Mondesi at second base. And then you have Michael Massey, who. You know, I didn't really know who he was for the longest time. He's got 31 at bats in the major leagues. 
323 batting average, you know, small sample size, but he's only 24. <clears throat> Another lefty bat. And those are hard to come by. Uh, looks like he's been up in the majors recently. Um, and, you know, he's been doing okay. You know, we'll see how he pans out. I didn't really know that he existed until last week. Um, <clears throat> and then, obviously, Nicky Lopez has been playing that spot a lot right now. Hunter Dozier's played a little bit of third base, but the guy we're really here to talk about is Bobby Wood Jr. Bobby Wood Jr. is going to be the infield version of Mike Trout. And you can quote me on that because I think it's true. Bobby Witt Jr. is hitting 254 this year with 15 home runs, 21 stolen bases. So you're telling me he's probably going to be a 2020 guy in his rookie season while also hitting above 250? I mean, not only is he going to win the rookie of the year, but that's those are really, really good numbers and should be really encouraging for the Royals. He's only 22 years old. When he's 25 and wanting that new contract, you could give him you know, 7 to 10 years if he stays at the level he's at. And I'm telling you right now, Royals fans, Bobby Witt Jr. and MJ Melendez together is the future of the Royals, and you guys have potential greatness. You mix in a couple extra pieces, I think you could be really, really, really good. Um, you look at the outfield. Kyle Isbell is young. Um, I don't know if he's the answer, but you know he's young. I really like Edward Olivares. He's been hurt, but when he was up, he was good. I think he was hitting over 300. Uh, yeah, he was hitting 303 with three home runs. Uh, OPS 792. You know that's pretty good. He's young. You could hold on to him. <clears throat> Michael A. Taylor. Obviously, I don't think he's someone that's around for the long haul. Maybe he's like a Lorenzo Cain. Um, you know, he could be that veteran presence, but then you got Hunter Dozier again, who can play the outfield. Um, and, you know, I'd say probably the pitching staff and the outfield are the weakest points for the Royals. <clears throat> but again, MJ Melendez, if you really want to hold on to Salvador Perez and think he can provide for you, MJ Melendez does also play the outfield. Now, let me offer a couple solutions for the Royals. You know, I think the Royals this offseason, they need to go out and get starting pitching. I think Luis Severino would be a great ace level for them. And I think him and Brady Singer could be a fantastic one-two that could help them win the division. I think they need to go out for relief pitching, obviously. I think they need to improve the outfield. But again, I think the Mike Matheny Royals have the potential to be an AL Central dominant team for two to three years to come. It's just going to take the right pieces, the right managing, and the right playing and production done by those players. Let's move on to our final segment. Here is another Sam Sports snippet for you. Professional baseball history has been made last night on Wednesday when Chandler Redman of the he was in the Cardinals minor league system he hit the home run cycle and that is something that no player has ever done in the major leagues and the home run cycle is a solo home run a two-run home run a three-run home run and a grand slam and here is the craziest thing he did it in back to back to back to back innings so four straight innings he got four straight at bats and hit a home run in the exact order of solo two run three run home run and grand slam um and made professional baseball history and that is your sam's sports snippet and for our last segment today we're gonna do another little game um we're gonna go through Major League Baseball trivia. I like to think that I have pretty good history, Major League Baseball knowledge. Um, 
I wouldn't necessarily say I'm great. I wouldn't necessarily I say I'd go out and win a competition, but I think um, I've got a pretty good idea. We're gonna. I found this website, um, UsefulTrivia.com. We're gonna go through their first ten questions, um, and we'll, we'll we'll see what I can get. Uh, question number one is against what opposing team did Babe Ruth hit his first career home run? Well, he would have been playing for the Boston Red Sox. So it's obviously not them. So the three options, or the four options I have are the Baltimore Black Sox, Boston Red Sox, Chicago Cubs, New York Yankees. It's not the Boston Red Sox because he played for them. Um, Chicago Cubs, they were a team. Uh, Baltimore Black Sox, I didn't even know that they were a team, if they even were. Um, I think I'd find it super ironic and super funny if it was against the New York Yankees. Um... I've never heard of the Baltimore Black Sox. We're not going to go with them. Um, we're not going to go with the Boston Red Sox because I know it wasn't them. It's between the Cubs and the Yankees. I'm going to go with the Cubs. Or, I'm uh, sorry, I'm going to go with the Yankees. And that is correct. Uh, while playing for the Boston Red Sox, Babe Ruth hit his first career home run against the New York Yankees. On May 6, 1915, he was later traded to the Yankees for a mere $125,000. Next question. Who was the first major league player to pitch a ball over 100 miles an hour? Now, the four options we have are Tom Seaver, Dwight Gooden, Roger Clemens, and Nolan Ryan. Tom Seaver and Dwight Gooden, both Mets players. Um, Roger, I know it wasn't Roger Clemens because he played in the 90s and early 2000s, and Nolan Ryan, Dwight Gooden, and Tom Seaver were all before him. Tom Seaver was probably the oldest, but I just don't know if he threw 100. Nolan Ryan, obviously, we knew through gas. I just don't know if Tom Seaver threw that hard. Um, I want to say he was low to mid-90s. Dwight Gooden, I... You know, don't know a ton about Dwight Good other than the fact he played for the Mets. He was a pretty good pitcher. Um, we're gonna go with uh, Nolan Ryan, and I got that one correct. On September seventh, nineteen seventy four, in a game against the White Sox, California Angels pitcher Nolan Ryan became the first player to break the hundred mile barrier when one of his pitches was officially clocked at one hundred eight. 100.8 miles per hour, which actually they believed that the first person to throw 100 miles an hour was Bob Feller back in the 1920s, 30s, but obviously didn't have radar back then. They actually believed that Bob Feller threw up to 107 miles an hour, if you didn't know that. Um, question three, what Baltimore Oils manager was ejected from a record 91 games? I don't even need to see the answers for this. I know it's Earl Weaver. Earl Weaver got ejected from everything. That is the correct answer. He managed the Orioles for 17 years, was ejected 91 times. In fact, he was ejected from both games of a doubleheader. That is quite hilarious. Um, who was the first major league player to have his number retired? Well, Babe Ruth had his number retired before he even died, or just like before he even retired. He was still a player coach. Lou Gehrig um Die. Ooh, this is a tough one. Charlie Robertson's another answer. George Kelly. I I, I truly don't know this one. Um, we're gonna go ahead and go with Lou Gehrig because he died while he was playing. That is correct. I'm currently four for four right now. The Yankees retired the Iron Horses number four on July fourth, nineteen thirty nine, during the now famous Lou Gehrig Day, uh, making him the first major league player to enjoy such an honor. Wow. It was only two months after his final game. Number Question number five, what player was nicknamed Mr. November? Obviously, we know this, Derek Jeter, because Reggie Jackson was Mr. October. Derek Jeter was Mr. November. Um, a huge Yankees fan, so obviously I know that one. If you haven't seen the eight- or nine-part series uh, on Derek Jeter called The Captain on ESPN, I'd highly recommend watching. It's pretty incredible, even if you're not even a Yankees fan or you hate the Yankees. Um, 
you're going to love it. He obviously got the name Mr. November because he came up to bat at 12.01 p.m. in the World Series on uh, November 1st, or 12.01 a.m., sorry, on November 1st, and he hit a home run to send them home, and he became Mr. November. Number six, which pitcher had no right hand? Stubby Clap, Jim Abbott. Jim Abbott, I believe, was the ambidextrous pitcher. Guy Hecker, Jim Colburn, I don't know. I'm going to go with Stubby Clap because that just sounds like someone who would have no hand. And I got my first one wrong. Um, actually doesn't tell me what the answer is. All right, great. Turns out the answer was Jim Abbott. All right, I was totally wrong about that one. He also threw a no-hitter with no right hand. That's pretty cool. Um, what player was killed by a pitch from former Yankees pitcher Carl Mays. The answer choices are Bryce Flory, Herb Score, Tony Coniglario, and Ray Chapman. Ray Chapman is the only name one of these I recognize. It just kind of rung a bell to me. So we're going to go with Ray Chapman. I don't actually know this answer. It was Ray Chapman. Well, that's great. August 16th, 1920, Cleveland Indians, obviously now the Guardians. Shortstop Ray Chapman was hit in the head by a pitch and died 12 hours later, and that is the reason that the spitball was banned in 1920. Uh, what is the name of the fictitious minor league baseball team on the Simpsons TV show? People are going to kill me if I get this wrong. I never really watched the Simpsons. Um, the options are the Duffs, Fishbones, Isotopes, and Homers. I'm going to go with the Isotopes because I feel like I've got this question in trivia before, and I've got it wrong. And it was the uh, Isotopes. Homer Simpson was the Springfield Isotopes mascot for a brief period, taking over from the Capital City goofball before being fired. All right. Two questions left. It's trying to run an ad on me. That's no fun. Okay. Who was the first reliever elected into the Hall of Fame? Hoyt Wilhelm, Dennis Eckersley, Raleigh Fingers, Goose Gossage. Um... I know Goose, Raleigh, Eckersley all played within 25, 30 years of each other. So honestly, I'm not 100% sure. Let's go with Hoyt Wilhelm. It was Hoyt Wilhelm, just because I knew he was older than the rest. He was nearly 30 years old when he entered the major leagues and pitched until he was nearly 50. Wow. He retired with one of the lowest career earned run averages, 2.52 in baseball history. All right, last question. The MLB Comeback Player of the Year Award was developed as a part of a sponsorship agreement involving what product? Wheaties, Viagra, Energizer, or Coke? I have absolutely no clue. Energizer makes me think of batteries. It makes me think like a spark, like a comeback. Maybe that makes absolutely no sense, but we're going to go ahead and go with Energizer. And that is incorrect. Um... The correct answer is Viagra. The Major League Baseball Player come uh, Major League Baseball Comeback Player of the Year award is presented to the player who is judged to have reemerged on the baseball field during the given season. The award was developed in 2005 as a part of a sponsorship agreement between MLB and Viagra. Viagra. Well, that's kind of awkward. Um, well, I got eight out of ten. You know, eighty percent. That is a passing grade in school. So I will take it, and that will complete this segment. All right, guys, so I am, it's currently Saturday, and I recorded the original podcast on Thursday, uh, and it was already ready to go, 
And then I saw the news about Fernando Tatis getting suspended 80 games, and I didn't want to have to wait until all the way till next Monday for you guys to hear my opinions about it. So here I am recording a little bit of an extra segment on Fernando Tatis. Uh, I mean, wow. You can't really... No one could have really predicted this. I mean, obviously, Tatis has been in and out um, of injuries, you know, his whole career. I mean, it's like a five-year career. But... Tatis was for a bit the face of baseball. I mean, he was literally on the cover of MLB video games and he was in all the commercials and, you know, he was the face. And then he kept getting hurt and you had a lot of kids looking up to him saying, you know, Fernando Tatis is my favorite baseball player. And this news comes out about him and it's just extremely disappointing. Um, You know, I was a big Fernando Tatis fan. And his career is now going to be tarnished unless he obviously has a 10 MVP freaking career post PEDs. You know, he claims that he was trying to take medication for ringworm and it had a performance enhancing drug in it. Obviously, the validity of that, who knows? But, you know, you got to feel for the Padres, man. The Padres are trying to make a playoff run. You know, they just picked up Juan Soto. You know, they just picked up Josh Hader, and, you know, they were they were primed to make a run once Tatis come, came, came back. Tatis ain't coming back anymore. You know, he's got 80 games suspended, and, you know, that is truly, um, truly unfortunate for the Padres. Just, you know, they're going to have to, they, I mean, they traded away C.J. Abrams, their other shortstop. So it's going to be really interesting to me what they do there. But, you know, maybe we give Tatis the benefit of the doubt and say that that's truly what happened. And he wanted to cure some ringworm, um, and it had a performance-enhancing drug in it. You know, he's got to serve his 80-game suspension. Maybe he comes back and he's still great. Who knows? And honestly, one thing you got to really consider is this gives Tatis an extra 80 days to heal, an extra 80 days to, um, you know, come back from that injury and make sure that he's 100% the player that the Padres need him to be. Because, you know, they've got Juan Soto for the long haul here, and, you know, they have potential to be a really good team, a really great team, if you know, if they can stay healthy. Um, you know, you, you got to root for the Padres, and um, I, just, I just feel for the fans of baseball who are big Tatis people. You know, I feel... For the Padres marketing staff, you know, I feel for Tatis. If it is true that he was just trying to cure ringworm, I feel for him. And I honestly just feel for the whole baseball world. Um, That's it. That's my thoughts. And that will complete the second episode of the Stepping Over the Chalk. Baseball Talk podcast with Sam Ojeda. Thank you for listening. And, you know, just feel free to leave a good review on Spotify. Obviously, I believe we are now on Apple Music. I'm struggling to figure it out. Um, This will probably come out on Saturday or Sunday right before I move. Um, So thank you. I'll leave a QA. and a I don't know what the question will be, but we'll figure it out. Please answer the Q&A question. 
And go ahead and share this with all your friends. Uh, Please like it. Just do everything. Follow the podcast on Spotify. And peace out.